everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast, where we're living for preventative mental health, love, and compassion. Hey, it's so great to have you here again. I'm Caroline Heim, and today we're going to start a new series taken directly from the monthly live Q&As that Dr. Heim does on the iHealth radio channel in New York with the amazing host, Hurricane H. And in today's episode, Dr. Heim answers listeners' questions on a variety of topical issues. Antidepressants. What are the side effects? Do you need antidepressants? What are the alternatives to antidepressants? And then he goes on to talk about long-term relationships and touch on gene-based altruism and to give some tips for someone struggling with alcohol. He then finishes off with a fascinating conversation with a caller about hypnosis, how hypnosis works in the brain and some quite controversial aspects of hypnosis. Enjoy. New Year. First of all, always a pleasure to have you. And uh, I was looking forward to this. And we do have quite a few questions in in uh, in track. I have a whole bunch of them, and I don't think we're going to get through all of them today. That's fine. That's <laughs> and, fine. And I hope that we get some uh, calls as well. So let's see what happens. I'm glad that you're doing good. I know things are a little crazy out there, but you know, uh, <laughs> the world is a uh, crazy world. That you know. Uh, we we use the word crazy you and I on this show and kind of like it's a little ironic but <laughs> 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 you know th this is like what people don't want to talk to psychologists and psychiatrists crazy I don't want to be crazy but yeah it, unfortunately <laughs> I think it's appropriate for this particular <laughs> scenario we live in in today's world but hey oh man well I guess we'll get right to it okay if we get right to it hurricane that's fine with me all right, so the first question, um, uh, it's a pretty long one. I'm going to read it. So many of the antidepressants <laughs> medications uh, warn of side effects of suicidal thoughts, as well as many other considerable and damaging side effects. When a person has experienced an unusually bad situation, such as death of loved one, uh, workplace bullying, domestic violence, stalking, extreme demands, uh, family work or any other unusual difficult situation and there is a very clear reason to why a person is experiencing sudden temporary intense sadness and upset is it appropriate to prescribe antidepressants uh, many people who are experiencing extremely difficult episode to the extent of having difficulties coping would also be in a situation of temporarily not thinking clearly is it appropriate to prescribe uh mind-altering drugs in such situation or are there alternatives okay it's a long one <laughs> okay it's a long one but it's a wonderful question hurricane because it gets down to a lot of what mental illness is what it isn't and how our antidepressant works so there are actually three questions in the question that you just um yep. pointed out to me uh the first one has to do with these side effects that antidepressants have uh, the second question has to do with, look, things like grief or bullying at work. Does mm. that take uh, antidepressants, right? And then the third question is actually, are there any alternatives to antidepressants? So I'm going to go through each one of those. So firstly, um, some of the side effects of antidepressants, strangely enough, 
include uh, suicide ideation and, in a sense, more depression. Now, that's a bit controversial. And so when these studies first came out, the question was, well, what is actually happening is you're getting a group of people who are suicidal. So if you're going to give a, a certain group of people antidepressants, they're the ones that are going to commit suicide because we are finding them. It's like saying uh, one of the side effects of a heart medication is a heart attack because you've got the group of people who are going to have heart attacks, right? right? But there's something else very subtle going on. When somebody is depressed, they can be so depressed that they couldn't even be bothered to get the energy to kill themselves, right? And this is very real. And so what happens is when somebody takes an antidepressant and first of all, their energy level and their motivation increases and their motivation increases while their suicidal thinking is still there, then they're actually more at risk of doing something about it. Okay. So the way past all of that is when you start somebody on an antidepressant, you monitor their mental state. You make sure that there is somebody that they can talk to so that it all heads in the right direction. Because we've got wonderful studies that tell us that the more that we use antidepressants, the less likely people are going to actually kill themselves. So that's in big population studies, more use of antidepressants, suicide levels actually go down, right? Now I have to say, that that's in a society that's under a lot of pressure hurricane because our suicide rates are up and our antidepressant rate is up. Now that does not mean that taking antidepressants leads to suicide. What it means is that there is so much pressure in today's society. Mental health is such an issue that even the antidepressants that we use are not enough to keep on top of it all. There's something else that we need to be doing. So that's the first part of the question. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's pretty intense, and 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 really the correlation between the antidepressant and the suicide and and lack of and it's 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 crazy in in the sense, but 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 you're right. This world we live in, right? As we were just joking earlier, it does you know put too much pressure across the board, whether through right. society, through the job, through family, and and people tend to really give in to it, to whatever that pressure. And ultimately, that leads to bad mental state and, and everything else that can happen with it. So yeah. you're right, antidepressants will be great as maybe a solution, you know, but but there is more to do this at the core of it, I think, because that's more like fixing, right? Or patching. Yes. But yes. it's not really dealing with the source of the problem. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's right. That, that's right. And And here we go to a difference in approach that we have, let's say, in places like uh, the USA and in Australia, and the approach that psychiatrists in uh, uh, continental Europe have, mm. right? So uh, in the USA and in Australia, we tend to look at alleviating symptoms. So as long as people are feeling better, then that's a win. Whereas in uh, mainland Europe, people tend to look at the core issues more. Why is somebody depressed? What is underlying this person's depression? And so you will find uh, a bit more psychotherapy being done and uh, a way of looking uh, at the uh, core problem to see if we can actually solve the core problem. Now, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. Uh, one is actually more of a quick fix, right? 
And secondly, it relies on people's resources to get on with life themselves. Uh, in Europe, the system that, that, that I tend to use a lot more, getting to the, uh, the core of what the problem is, the advantage is that the person grows as a human being a lot more. The disadvantage is that people can become very introspective and spend time on themselves rather than contributing to society. That's the way I look at it. But I want to go to the second part of that question, okay? All yours. We got a lot, a lot of things to cover right now. <laughs> go for All right. it. <laughs> so the second part of the question is, should we even be treating things like bullying at work, grief reactions uh, with antidepressants? Mm. And uh, in this situation, uh, first of all, we can talk about what life was like uh, without antidepressants. So uh, before 50 years ago, when we didn't have antidepressants, we had to cope with grief. We had to cope with bullying. We had to cope with conflict in a different way rather than antidepressants. So that means that there are alternatives. Does that mean that we shouldn't use antidepressants? Now, rather than have a rule, you shouldn't use antidepressants here, it depends on each individual case. Some people in their grief, in their grief of the loss of a loved one, go so low that people are very worried about them. And so sometimes in that situation, it's warranted to use an antidepressant. As a general rule, however, the human spirit is resilient. We can actually cope with grief. We can cope with workplace bullying. If there is somebody that uh, was, is there to help us get through the situation, listen, do a bit of problem solving. So I wouldn't automatically start on an antidepressant. But here's our modern world hurricane. We have these things called antidepressants. We spent decades uh, formulating them. They're pretty damn good. And we all are looking for a quick way of getting back on track. And so it's very tempting to use an antidepressant. And as a psychiatrist, I tend to hold back on antidepressants for people who are going through normal life issues because you feel more empowered if you get over grief, if you get over workplace bullying or interpersonal conflict, you feel like you're more resilient as a person. All right, that's part two. <laughs> well, I, I was gonna just say, well, so, so really, I mean, there is a way. I mean, when people have intervention and, yeah. and, and assistance or help in at least, you know, discovering the issue and, and talking yeah. about it and maybe some, some moral support uh, yeah. at any stage, I mean, you can prevent, you know, to your point, I mean, it's not necessarily needed to have the antidepressants and uh, go into that extreme, but there are cases where you do need to that to calm folks and, and just get them really like under control before you can treat. Uh, so, so again, it, every situation will be different, but you're right. I mean, personal conflict, that's one thing. Bullying, it's very common. <laughs> Workplace, yeah. or otherwise, yeah. even these yeah. days, even in the streets, you go to store and there's bullying. So <laughs> you yeah. don't know where they're going, right? Uh, it, it's It's amazing. And you're right. I mean, antidepressants have been around and um they're pretty cool i mean they're, they're pretty cool in, in the good market and the bad market <laughs> everybody wants one of those right so whichever means plus <laughs> potential means that they can get through that right but yeah. but you know hopefully we don't have to 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 do anything uh with them unless we have uh, no choice and obviously uh, someone would prescribe them with control i guess and, well yeah uh, so so let's, let's look at what antidepressants do in the brain. They basically raise serotonin levels, which leads to a feeling of calm mm. and a bit of what we call um, happiness, all right? Just a little bit of that. 
but there are a lot of things that raise serotonin levels. So I'll give you two clinical examples. And I've, I've been in both of these clinical examples. Let's take a 70 year old male who has just lost his wife of 50 years. Now, if that 70 year old male is living with a household where there is children and grandchildren, and he comes from a big family where, you know what, they sit down for a Sunday meal or a Friday meal or whatever, they get together and they laugh, that person is most likely not going to end up on an antidepressant. But if you take the same 70-year-old person who's lost his partner of 50 years and he's living alone, he doesn't know his neighbor, right? Uh, he doesn't even have a dog, right? I would put that person on an antidepressant because... The, the grief situation that he is in is just at a heightened risk. He's got a lot more than just the grief going on. So it comes down to these individual factors and what's happening in the brain. When you're with family and grandchildren, they just naturally raise serotonin levels in your head. So uh, perhaps that person doesn't need the antidepressant, whereas the other person perhaps does. Well, we talked about that in the last show, which is, you know, being with people, social, it makes a big difference than, than being solo and, and just, you know, in, 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 sol in solitary mode. <laughs> it's oh, not look, a good thing. Totally, totally. It makes a big difference to the brain because it increases all those feel-good chemicals. Uh, and, and that's one of my big messages. You'll hear it a lot, you know, that dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and beta endorphins are increased when you're around people. And those chemicals make us feel good. And that's why being around people that you love feels so good. Well, listen, listeners, viewers, you know what to do. Surround yourself with love, loved ones and, and, and love others and, and just be uh, as social as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't mean on social media only, on, in person, right? <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, all right, so I guess we'll go to that third part of that, that, that question. Okay, so, so the third part of the question is, are there any alternatives to antidepressants? And basically anything that will raise your serotonin is an alternative. And yes, we've just talked about one of them, people, right? Uh, but walking in sunshine, uh, going along a beach, doing things that you enjoy, finding routine in your life, laughing with people, listening to some of your favorite music, all of these things release beta endorphin and serotonin, and they are good for you. Reflecting on, let's say we take the example of grief, what the whole relationship meant to you, what it meant in your life. Yes, there is a sadness of what you lost, but there's this beautiful feeling of, my gosh, I spent 50 years with one human being. That is an amazing experience, and that experience cannot be taken away from you, right? So in workplace bullying, okay, that, that, that sounds a, it's a bit harder. The alternative there is mediation, talking to somebody, finding a way through, and, and not always uh, in an adversarial sense, but in a sense of getting together and can we find some way through that? And I know that that sounds a bit idealistic, but again, the brain feels really good when you make a connection with people. And there we're talking about trust and oxytocin. If you can actually work something out with somebody at work, it's great for the brain. <laughs> We can. I think people have that opportunity. They just have to explore it. But I think understanding the dynamics is key. And hopefully the message is, is out there. And, and I know you do this for a living and you share with a lot of people and through these podcasts and, and, and talk shows. I mean, I think that's also important. But really, you're right. I mean, but you did mention something unique twice about 
a relationship for 50 years. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I wanted just to, to, to go over that point specifically for a oh, minute yeah. before we go to the next question. Okay. You know, I think that's a lost thing. Today's, you know, relationship don't last long, unfortunately. I'm talking about marital status and all the stuff. I mean, people, yeah. they're, they're just like fly by night, you know, relationships. There's no, like you, you talk to the senior, you know, community and, and how long have you been married for? Like 60 years, 50 years. I mean, they, they lasted that long and they literally, you, I've seen even posts where people are like dying together. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but, but but today we don't see much of that there's so much like just me myself and i and you know i don't care and there's no commitment i mean it's it's definitely a whole different issue to discuss but just the the you've been referring to that 50 mark and, and i know that that is almost i mean now family kids maybe even kids now you know they grow up quickly and they leave uh, you know you leave the home and there's there's less you know there's so much disconnect in the in the family and i think those are all uh, problematic, uh, and they they do lead to to a lot of things, and certainly that don't help in <laughs> in getting your uh, uh, senses and everything you know exciting here. So so again, uh, I think society has to do with it, uh, and and the way it's been promoted, like it's a cool thing. I mean, you don't have to be married, you don't have to to stay with someone long. I mean, obviously, if there's a bad relationship, and I have a question about that in a minute, but but it's 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 just amazing how how we don't think about those things until they reflect like in this case, you just put it in front of us. And I'm like, in my mind, like, whoa, there is a connection. And, and, and you see those people happy. Yes, it, it is amazing. Uh, and there are a few things about that. When all the divorce laws came into being uh, around the 70s, we, we forget that there were a lot of uh, unhappy marriages. There were a lot of people being subjugated into loveless marriages. And uh, what the divorce laws did was give an opportunity to dissolve those marriages. Now, the good way of looking at that is uh, the marriages at last these days are marriages where people want to stay together because divorce is really quite easy. So if people are in a relationship, you can almost be guaranteed that they're in a happy relationship. There are some side effects, however, right, that uh, the norm of society has now changed. And it's only taken a few generations for it to become usual in society to be in different sort of relationships, right? Uh, and look, in itself, what happens is society gets used to a new normal. And while accepting things is very good, we also pay a price when we let go of some of the underlying structure of society. Now, one thing you said that, that kids are growing up faster and they're leaving home faster, just need to say that that's not actually the case because there are a few things about the human life cycle that just doesn't change. It's always taken about 15 to 20 years of parenting before you've got yourself an adult. It's gonna take around that time and it still does. Having a baby is going to be a lot of work. It always has been, it still is. Uh, and having grandchildren or parents, we still have them. The thing is that uh, they're perhaps spread out a little bit more and we may need to make a bit more effort to get together because we don't all live under the same roof or we don't live in the same village, but we still have all these people. And so I encourage people that even if they haven't seen their sister or their brother for months and months to sort of say, hey, that person's still your sister. That person's still your brother. Why not phone them? Why not go over social media? Why not arrange a trip to get together with them? We can still do all of that. So there are a few things in humanity that 
do stay the same hurricane, you know? Well, just, just an example. I mean, I, I did something similar. You know, I mean, I, I live in the States. Most of my family is overseas. And I, just, just to your point, I mean, we do call every now and then. But what I did, I created a, a family group. <laughs> I mean, literally on WhatsApp and also one on Facebook. So now we share, you know, uh, you know, videos and, and live stuff and have discussions. I mean, it's as remote as it gets, but but at least, you know, you're in contact with people and you feel part of the family. So and, yeah. and I'm sure a lot of people have similar situations that they can use that same if they haven't yet. But, you know, yeah, if, if you want to think about it in scientific terms, the question is, whose genes do I share? All right. When, when you look for people who have the same sort of genetic makeup as you, you naturally feel what's called a gene based altruism or kin based altruism with them. You just get together uh, with a cousin and you just feel at home for some reason. They're not quite a stranger to you. And uh, I'd encourage people to get out there and enjoy that. Uh, well, listen, so will I. I. I do and I will. And I guess people are watching right now live, you know, hey, you know what to do. Make it work. Make it happen. All right. So so I, I think we're ready to move to the second question. All right. That was only 20 minutes on one question. That's, that's, that's <laughs> well, it was it was three in one. So we'll take it. Right? <laughs> so we'll make this number four. <laughs> OK. All right. So so um, I'm struggling a bit. We're trying to quit drinking. Do you yeah. have any tips? I, I think that's a very common situation these days with a lot of folks out there. So uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, any tips? Yes. Yes. There is one overwhelming tip to get rid of any addiction in your life, to get rid of a bad habit. Uh, the idea is not to focus on stopping the bad habit, but starting something else that's more important to you, hmm. right? So if, if you're a guy who smokes and you've got this new girlfriend who hates the smell of cigarettes, okay, you're going to give up pretty, pretty quickly, all right? Because the incentive is there. So as long as you find something that is more important to you than the alcohol, it becomes easier to let go of the alcohol. So to find something that you always wanted to do when you were a young child, um, perhaps play an instrument, play a sport, get to learn something, visit people, what, what, whatever it happens to be, you've got to love something more than the alcohol. And, and then, yeah, there, there are some practical things. If it's not in the house, you won't drink it. So that's the best port of call. Don't let it in the house. And also find substitutes. Yep. Doctor, I think we have a call. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Uh, thank you for calling uh, Out Radio. Who is this? Hello, John? Hello? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. All right. You're live. You're live, John. So, so thank you for calling. What's your question? So I was wondering uh, if the doctor can uh, describe uh, hypnosis and how does it work uh, exactly? I'm kind of a, a skeptic on that. Okay. <laughs> okay, a skeptic on hypnosis. Okay. Uh, thanks very much for the question, John. Uh, so hypnosis does sometimes get used therapeutically. Uh, the way hypnosis works is the knowledge of brain waves. So as I'm speaking here to you, John, and to Hurricane, uh, I'm in what's called beta brainwaves. So that's brainwaves that are going at about 14 to 20, 22 cycles per second. Now, as we go to sleep, we go through what's called alpha waves, which is less than 14 cycles per second. And then we go into delta and theta waves, which get down to like three cycles per second. So the brain kind of settles down as it goes to sleep. What hypnosis does is it takes your brain waves from beta waves 
into alpha waves. And uh, alpha waves have been called a super learning state. And this is the illustration that I use. I know five-year-olds that can speak four different languages. Now, if you learn a language at age 20 or older, you will find out it's really very difficult. So how is it that a four-year-old can learn four languages, keep them entirely separate and be fluent, whereas as an adult, to learn the language is so difficult? And one of the answers has to do with the brain waves. Adult brain waves are made for critical reasoning. Critical reasoning says, I won't let this information inside my head. And we need that as adults. But children have got adults to guide them, so they don't need to be critical. So they had this super learning state in alpha waves where they can learn things very, very quickly. So what hypnosis right. can do is put you in a situation where you can learn really quickly and be very suggestible. Does that mean anything to you, John? Yeah. So does that mean like you, um, you're actually sleeping when you're under hypnosis, like, like as if you were just sleeping in bed? Uh, the, uh, the way to look at it is it's more like that state that you're in just before you go to sleep. You're still conscious, but you're sort of uh, in a very relaxed state. And in this relaxed state, it's like the subconscious part of your mind, uh, what we call the default mode network, is more open to hearing what comes from the natural world. Okay? So the idea of suggestions in hypnosis... Uh, tend to, in a way, they stick deeper in your mind than uh, when we're talking just one-on-one -on -one like this. Got it, got it. Okay. Now, I've got to counter that, John, okay, because just before you think that hypnosis is the be-all and end-all, uh, what the father of psychotherapy did, and I'm talking about Sigmund Freud, is before him, a lot of people were using hypnosis to, to get to the unconscious. And what he found was, you know what, I can just talk to somebody and I can get the same results. So the thing is that hypnosis has remained controversial because uh, there are some places where it works and some places where you don't need it. And you're never under anybody else's control. But the way that I see it is it puts you in a relaxed state in slower brain waves so that you accept incoming material more easily. That's the best way I can describe it, John. Wow. <laughs> so, so you can, but can you control people when they're under hypnosis? Uh, strictly speaking, you cannot control people while they're under hypnosis. Now, uh, you may have seen some uh, uh, stage performers who use hypnosis, uh, and they can be really funny shows. And what happens is people will voluntarily go up on stage and put themselves in a situation where they're part of a performance and they like right. doing this. And, and what the hypno, hypnotist always does is find some way to see who's a good hypnotic subject and who isn't. And they can decide that very quickly. So it's just like asking, who wants to come up here for a bit of a laugh and be part of a show? And if you're the sort right, of person right. who says, yeah, I, I can do that, then you're in for a good show. By the way, I'm sorry, guys, I just wanted to interject. But I, I, experienced, I experienced that myself a couple of times on, on a ship, on a cruise. Uh, it's oh, very yeah, common. Yeah. They have them lined up and, uh, you know, and you're right. They select some people versus others. And those that actually are literally that they subject themselves and they allow themselves to get, you know, under uh, hypnosis, they really get very funny. 
and and their talent comes out. I mean, I never volunteer for that because I don't know what's going to come out of me. <laughs> but, but but I did try it actually. I I, I was a skeptic too. And um, on one of those ships, one time they had a secondary show, and where the actual performer wanted people to to be sitting, and you know basically to see what they feel. And I, I, I literally took the time and, and I um, literally I counted the, 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 the time frame that I was under when when I thought we were starting and the time we finished, I thought it was about a couple of minutes. I realized it was a half hour. So wow. it, it literally in half, it, half hour went by. It felt like it was two minutes and I felt everything. I heard everything. I was conscious to a degree, but I wasn't. You know, it's like you're there, but you're not there. As you said, you're like in that relaxed mode. And it's real. I mean, I tested it. I can give you, I mean, I can give you my step on it as, as just personal experience, but I was literally a skeptic. So, uh, you know, John, I mean, I think, I think a lot of people are, uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know, doctor, do you do hypnosis yourself or no? I don't use hypnosis as part of my therapy. Okay. No. So, so I will definitely find, I, I might have to do that as an idea and bring someone to give me a hypnosis live. I don't know what happens. No, <laughs> I won't guarantee it. <laughs> well, I'll, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll try it on air. Thank you so much, doctor. I appreciate it. Thank okay, you, thank thanks, you. John. All the best, thank mate. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank Great you show, Hurricane. Thank, thank you. Bye bye. We're so glad you joined us for this episode. Did you enjoy it? Would you like to hear it live and ask a question? Then tune into the iHealth channel on the last Friday of every month. A link's in the description. If you like these podcasts, please subscribe, spread the word, and recommend them to others. Look, I hope you're traveling okay. Remember, we are all carrying an extra 20 pounds of anxiety. So be gentle with yourself. Catch you next time.